I just got back from Rwanda um, two weeks ago, and I was there for about three and a half months. Um, it was about one-third clinical experience and two-thirds research. And it was a really wonderful and interesting experience, um, especially when it comes to that patient communication and like relationship with patients, because um, you know that's an always challenging thing and something that you're working at, and then all of a sudden you have you know this language barrier that's very significant. Um, in Rwanda, everyone everyone speaks Kenya Rwanda as the main language. Um, it was previously francophone and now anglophone, but it's still in the transition period. So most there was very 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 few patients who spoke English. Um, and I remember I was thinking a lot uh, the other day about this one particular patient that I had. Um, she she actually I I met her after she was already admitted. She'd come in to come in at I think about thirty six weeks, which is you know pretty getting pretty close. Um, so she's pretty very pregnant, and she came in in respiratory distress, like respiratory failure almost. Um, they had to intubate her and. Um, she, I met her when we were doing rounds in the ICU. She was still intubated. Um, and, you know, we rounded on her a few times while she was there, and eventually she, they were able to do, they actually had to do a tracheostomy because she, her respiratory situation was so bad that they were not able to, like, extubate her and keep her oxygen levels up enough because you have to keep a certain level for the baby. Um, the threshold, there's, there's much less wiggle room, you'd say. Um, so they ended up having to do a tracheostomy. Um, after she had the trach in place, she came to our service, um, on maternity. And I happened to be doing pre-rounds, so you go at like 5.30 in the morning and see a few patients before rounds with the, um, medical team. And so I was in the sort of acute room, because that was kind of where there's a higher turnover, and it was like a lot of really interesting patients, so I was sort of working with another Rwandan uh, doc for um, in, the, in the room. So, so she was there, and then she ended up being the one patient in that room that stayed my entire time that I, I was assigned to this room, because she had oxygen, and it was the only place that seemed like safe enough. She's close enough to like the, our surgical suite, and sort of the high acuity patients all stayed there. So... Um, I got to know this woman um, through her writing Kenya Rwanda on a piece of paper and me having to like bring it to a nurse to like have her interpret to me and then come back. Um, and I learned enough Kenya Rwanda to like, you know, I can say, um, you know, Ichara sit up, Riyama sit down, you know, lay down, um, Asama open your mouth. So I would be able to do sort of a physical exam and, um, you know, but I got to see her every single morning, and one of the one of the lessons I feel like, um, you know, this was there was the barrier of of language, but then also now the barrier of physical communication because she hasn't tracheostomy, she hasn't learned to speak through it um, yet. So even if you know we could, I could ask her Amukuru, how are you in Kenya Rwanda? She wouldn't, you know, she wasn't really able to verbalize anything in response. Um, but there was something about like. That the power of the nonverbal communication and the power of of something in your in your eyes like that it's able to communicate presence just by like by eye contact and just kind of 
showing, you know, I notice you, I'm here for you, you know, we're in this together. Um, through through the way you can look at a patient and the way they look back at you and you sort of know. Um, and that was something that was just sort of very striking. Like, you know, every, every morning I would, like, look for her and see her and her eyes would sort of light up because she started getting used to seeing this strange, you know, <laughs> white doctor that shows up and and um, uh, and sees her every morning. And, um, you know, I got to meet some people in her family and um, it was... It was just something that I remember, like that warmth was able to be communicated without words. You know, it was never something that she wrote in the paper. She wrote things about, you know, if she was having pain at the site or if she was having, you know, other concerns or issues. She wrote very concrete things, but um, the rest of it was still able to be communicated. I've always been interested in in the, the connection that, you know, we have with other people, with your patients, with... Um, others as you go through life, and um, it, so actually I, I was at a an art music festival um, this past year, and a, a dear friend of mine there um, is herself sort of in, in allied with the medical world. She's a medical anthropologist and a meditation practitioner. She's studying homeopathy now, um, and so she she took me aside because um, she knows I'm going into medicine, and she said that she wanted to teach me a particular meditation practice and um, I said okay and she explained that it's a type of meditation through through the eyes and I was like alright look sounds interesting and effectively it's you spend some time very quiet with another person just looking into the other person's eyes um, and not doing nothing else just being there being quiet you know breathing and just looking into this other person's eyes and after a couple of minutes, I mean, it's it's really an incredible, incredible experience. It becomes a very, uh, a very concrete, real experience of this whole metaphor of the eyes being a window to the soul. And you know, we hear about it. People talk about it in songs and poetry. You know, artists do you know amazing renditions and you know communicate this this power um, of of communication, the nonverbal communication, especially coming through um, the way we look at each other and um, it was it was a really amazing gift that my friend was able to give me to teach me this meditation practice because it was something that has brought it to a more concrete understanding for me that there there really is something there and it's a tool that I'm going to be able to use in you know my future practice there's always that part of you, I think, especially um, maybe in this career, we're kind of tend to be people that are a bit hard on ourselves. And so, you know, you sort of notice all of the times you don't use mindfulness and you don't use the skills that you've been trying to work to develop more than you notice the times that you do. Um, but, but, I, but I do. I think, I mean, in the example of, um, you know, the, the woman I met with in the tracheostomy in Rwanda, you know, I think if, I think having that experience and, um, bringing, doing some work with presence, doing some um, uh, practices that make me sort of a, more aware of that helps me to bring that into the interaction. Um, and I mean, I would say, I'm hoping that, you know, I can continue to strengthen that cause, I mean, my biggest fear of someone who's planning to go into primary care and um, planning to work at least, you know, a portion of my career here in the United States, um, you know, the way the medical system is set up, 
I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough time with my patients, um, basically. You know, there's a lot of pressures on you as far as time, as far as, um, you know, just volume and not having, you know, enough enough providers. And um, But, you know, knowing those, those tools are, are things that are going to help um, establish that relationship and hopefully make the other person and make me feel like, you know, every every second that you do have does count um, if you're really truly there with them. So it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop trying to fight to change the system to make it a better place to do primary care and care for patients, but in the meantime, um, you know, it's a tool I can use to um, to have that connection and make, make what the time that I do have count. The experience of working with... Um, you know, that patient in Rwanda, you know, I'm sitting here telling her story and thinking about her and realizing that there's almost no chance that I'm ever going to find out what happened to her. You know, I'm ever going to find out if she, was she able to deliver? Did she have to have a C-section because she's, you know, in her respiratory capacity is, she's not able to hold her breath and push and things like that. Um, you know, did, is the baby okay? Did it suffer any, um, you know, ill effects from mom having, you know, a, bad respiratory status during pregnancy and things like that. Um, and, you know, those are things that, that throughout the medical training, you know, there's very few opportunities for continuity. Um, the few times that I, you know, I was doing an away elective out in California and I got to see the same woman who had um, twins um, in three visits. I, I was in the same high-risk outpatient clinic um, three visits in a row, and I got to see her every week for three weeks, and it was, like, so awesome to see her face again, and, like, and I mean, that's a, a tiny amount of continuity. It's only three weeks, and again, I don't know. I hope she delivered, you know, two happy, healthy babies. Um, she was really, you know, wanting to have them, um, you know, naturally not to have C-section or something like that, but, um, so it's one thing that I'm really looking forward to after, um, you know, this phase of my training period is over. In residency, you know, you have your continuity clinic, and at least for the three years or more that you're in that one place, you can have patients that you see um, and have that continuity and that follow-up with. And then that's, you know, one of the whole reasons I'm going into a primary care field is because I, you know, I want to know, I want to I wanna stay, you know. Um, once you create that relationship, I'd like to continue to benefit from those relationships. And if I can't give a patient, you know, enough time this visit because I've got through my patients in queue, they may, you know, the luxury of continuity is that if you can build the right relationship, they, they'll forgive you. <laughs> they know that you took an extra 40 minutes with them the other time when they really needed you. And if today they just need refills, then, you know, it's just great to see them and you'll, you'll give them more time the next time around. Inside Stories is an oral narratives project that catalogs the stories of medical students during their journeys through medical school. The podcast is hosted on In Training, the online magazine for medical students. Visit us at in-training.org slash inside-stories. Inside Stories is a founding member of Vocalis, the podcast network for medical students. Please listen to our partner podcasts at vocalisnetwork.wix.com slash listen.